Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Welcome to Mind Love, episode 156. Today's episode is all about the new science to unlock your brain's hidden power. Your ability to be aware is a neuromuscle, but most people don't practice awareness, and it's awareness that gives you choice, and choice is actually what gives you freedom if you exercise it. So uh, we know that our brain has got a nervous system, but it's actually broken down into two systems. One is the sympathetic nervous system, which is your fight, flight, freeze, stress, anxiety, uh, panic. And then the other system, when that's triggered, is your calm system, your ability to be more focused, more aware, more patient, uh, more imaginative, uh, smarter. And so the first thing we want to do is get our brain to deactivate the sympathetic stress circuit. And we can do that in one of three ways. But the simplest way is something that is a thing you've been doing from the second you were born. Turn up your frequency with Mind Love. Bite-sized brain hacks for seekers, dreamers, and doers. It's time to give your mind a little love with your host, Melissa Monti. Hi, friends. First of all, if you haven't subscribed to the podcast yet, make sure to hit the subscribe button so you're always updated about new episodes. Plus, you want to know basically the best way to give back to your favorite podcasts? actually go to the iTunes app and leave a five-star review. Reviews are scientifically proven to make me love you more. That's just how it is. I love you when you leave me a review. You sit in my heart for days at a time. No, but seriously, they really help the growth of the show. They're probably the number one thing that you can do besides supporting my sponsors or joining the membership. So it's an easy, free way to give back to a podcast you love. And if you do leave me a review, send it to me at mindlovemelissa on Instagram, and I'll send you a free meditation track. Well, I have to share this podcast review from a username that I cannot pronounce because it's just a bunch of letters, but she says it's a huge aid in my spiritual journey. She says, I've never listened to podcasts, like never. One day I was wanting to find something else to listen to at work to keep my spirits lifted. I cannot express enough how much I absolutely love this podcast. So often it seems like the episodes are directed to me personally. I've had some huge epiphanies with some of the content and I'm extremely grateful. Keep up the amazing work. You're inspiring people with every podcast. So whoever you are, thank you, thank you, thank you. So now let's get into it. Think back for a moment to when you were a child. What did you believe you were capable of? Were you one of those kids that felt stupid Maybe in one subject, or maybe just in all of them? Or did you feel like you were smarter than the other kids in class? Now think about, why did you believe those things? I'm sure we all know by now that the messaging we hear as a kid can have a really big effect on what we believe we're capable of. When we're kids, our brains are still forming, and we haven't fully developed that wiring to really discern, which is why we tend to take even some outlandish things as truth. 
Like, of course, a large man flies around the world breaking into homes via chimneys to deliver presents that may or may not fit down said chimney. Totally feasible, right? Yet, as a kid, if you were anything like me, you would defend Santa to the death. So when someone calls us dumb, or when we feel inferior for some reason, that belief starts to get cemented into our brains as truth. Even as we grow up and we develop that ability to discern a little bit better, people or experiences can still affect what we believe about ourselves, especially if that moment in time makes us feel something negative. Because while our thoughts are the electric things, they're the things that create the plan, it's really our feelings that are magnetic. Our feelings draw us towards or repel us away from people or things. They're the part of us that manifests. So if those feelings are negative, we're probably going to head the other direction or just be drawn towards more people and experiences that are just going to reinforce that negative feeling. And what makes it even more complicated is that we tend to give a lot more energy towards the things that make us feel bad. Kind of like how one insult can seem to stick in your mind more than a hundred compliments. So basically, we're going through life taking steps forward every single day, and then one failure can feel like it sets us back 100 steps. This is a big reason why kids are like, I'm going to be the president of the United States. And then by the time they're 30, they're just like, eh, I think I'm fine just working at tanning salons for a few more years. No judgment. I totally worked at tanning salons for a while, actually. (laughs) And then to add one more layer to this brain-damaging mess, we have layers of complications just built into our world today, like dopamine addiction from social media and Netflix binges and dating apps. So are we totally screwed? How do we make sure that we're always building up our brains so that we can find more and more success throughout our lives instead of just slowly tearing ourselves down? When I was a kid, I had a lot of confidence. I was usually tutoring the other kids, I finished tests early, I understood things quickly, so frankly, I kind of felt like a boss. There was something about the structure of school that just felt very doable for me. As I got older, though, that's when my confidence started to take a hit. I had a harder time finding that same level of accountability or motivation for my own dreams without that guarantee of success. I developed some really bad habits, I let failures get to me. I was struggling with some dopamine addictions that I mentioned earlier, and I kind of stopped achieving for a while. Then I started doubting that I was the type of person who could really achieve something big. I had created mental and emotional blocks that kept me from taking risks or doing things unless I was totally sure that I could succeed with it, which, if you think about it, kept me from trying new things at all for a few years. Until I started learning what was really going on in the brain and how my beliefs were the biggest drivers of my own behavior and how just like how we work out our muscles to keep them strong and we feed our bodies to keep it nourished, we have to give the same kind of love and attention to our brain and our mental processes. So that's what we're talking about today. And our guest is John Asraf. 
He's one of the leading mindset and behavioral experts in the world. He's been on shows like Larry King Live, Anderson Cooper, and The Ellen DeGeneres Show. He's been featured in 10 movies, including The Secret and Quest for Success with Richard Branson and the Dalai Lama. And he's here to teach us how to actually enhance the functioning of your brain in ways that will help you master your thoughts and emotions so that you can achieve any goal that you desire. Three key things we will learn are how to tap into your creative brain to achieve more success, how to flex your three core neuromuscles, and a simple technique to eliminate stress, anxiety, self-doubt, and fear. But before we dive in, do you wish you could start each day with a little help building empowering beliefs? Just sign up for the Morning Mind Love for daily inspirational messages right to your inbox. I get messages from people every single day about how the morning mind love is their favorite way to start their day, or that the message that came through is exactly what they needed to hear. It's kind of like your own personal inspiration oracle. Just visit mindlove.com and sign up right there on the homepage. Plus, you'll get some amazing free gifts when you do, like a free guided binaural affirmation meditation designed to rewire your brain to your highest self. And you'll get one of my favorite tools, a booklet of my personal power list to help you gain clarity and live each day with intention. And it's all completely free. Just go to mindlove.com to sign up. Or if you're out and about, text the word morning to 33777. That's morning to 33777. And now let's welcome John Asaraf to the show. It's so great to be with you, Melissa. So first of all, I am curious, what got you so interested in really studying how the brain works and how to actually start living our best lives? <laughs> a lot of pain. <laughs> uh, what a lot of people don't know about my background is uh, everybody sees, you know, some of the success that I've enjoyed. But what most people don't see is, you know, any of the, the pain, any of the failures, any of the stuff that didn't work, any of the hidden stuff that happens and lurks, you know, behind the eyes type of thing. But to directly answer your question, when I was in my early 20s, I was working really hard to uh, make money to try and do something with my life. And I ended up with severe ulcerative colitis, which means I had ulcers in my colon and they were bleeding ulcers. And uh, at the time, at 22 years old, I was taking 25 pills a day, salazopyrin pills a day, to reduce the inflammation. In the morning when I woke up, I had to do a cortisone enema. And the night before I went to bed, I had to do a cortisone enema to reduce the inflammation. Once a month, I had to go to the hospital to do a sigmoidoscopy, which means they put these tubes in places they shouldn't put tubes in to look to see what was happening. And for a year and a half, I didn't have any bowel control movement. Uh, or bowel control, lots of movement. And uh, <laughs> so I was, um, I was consistently you know, embarrassed because I was literally shitting in places that you shouldn't be shitting, whether I'm in a car, in a restaurant, uh, at the gym, in bed with a young lady. And it was just extremely embarrassing and very, very painful. And I watched this TV show. This one day I was watching this TV show and there were these doctors on the show talking about something, you know, it's this big word called psychoneuroimmunology. And basically all it means is the mind-body connection. <laughs> like, okay. And um, so I was watching what they were saying that, you know, what you think about causes these actions with your, in your cells. And, and if you keep thinking and feeling and doing the same things, you keep reinforcing these patterns and the patterns become automatic. And then it's pretty hard to get 
off of that pattern unless you know how to interrupt patterns. So I kept watching and they talked about cause and effect. And they said, you know, if you have a disease, that's the effect. You have to figure out what's the cause. And they started talking about part of the cause is your mindset. Part of your cause is the emotions that you're feeling or suppressing. And then obviously part of the cause is your behavior. So I got fascinated with this cause and effect dialogue they were having. So I started doing some research on what causes ulcerative colitis. And I came up with it could be genetic. Uh, it could be stress. It could be diet. It could be a bunch of different things. And so I said, okay, what if I focused on the cause of my results and see if I could change that? And so I put together a little I guess a little program for myself of an affirmation that I found that I tweaked. It says my body and all its organs were created by the infinite intelligence in my subconscious mind. It created all my tissues, organs, muscles, and it is capable of healing me right now. I am now perfectly healthy. That's a short version of this affirmation. So I said this affirmation maybe 20, 30, 40, 50 times a day. Uh, they also talked about the power of visualizing yourself being healthy versus reinforcing seeing yourself sick or in a state of disease. So I you know, would close my eyes and I would uh, pretend in my head that my colon was healthy and that my colon was normal and that I was having you know, normal bowel movements, which is, listen, I'm, I'm talking about this you know, 38 years later, um, but I want to give people the understanding of, of how serious this was. So I started to uh, use the right language patterns. I started to visualize my colon being healthy. I started to exercise. I started to eat better. I started to sleep at regular hours. At 22, I was, you know, out partying. Um, and within five weeks, all of my symptoms went away. All my symptoms went away. And I remember going to the hospital to meet my doctor. He was an internist by the name of Dr. Wu, W-U. And he looked at my at my colonoscopy or my colonoscopy, and uh, he says, "Like you're you're perfectly healed. What well, what have you been doing in the last six weeks? Because the one before that it was swollen and bleeding." I said, "Well, I've been doing all the stuff that I just shared." He goes, "Wow, that, that's unbelievable." He said, "I've never seen such a transition in such a short period of time." And he says, "Listen, uh, it looks like you're better. Keep taking the pills." And I go, yeah, "I get you don't understand. I fixed the cause." of the problem. You still want to treat the symptom. That was in 1982. Um, I've never had an episode since. Wow, that's like way ahead of the yeah. time. Like now I have touched on certain things. It's still new information to most people, but yeah. I'm just so interested in this this type of thing. And again, I was going through your book and there's so much new information in uh, there for you. me. But the idea the that you size? can, yeah, yeah the, the yeah. idea that you can change things through your mindset is now, you know, the, the default that I go to these days. Yeah. It's just like, okay, well, exactly how? Because it's not always so easy. It's like, I remember doing affirmations for a long time and I didn't believe them though. And so it was yeah. like, I, I don't know, let's just try this. What's the harm? And of course it wasn't going to work because I was just repeating words, you know? Yeah. But it's funny. I told you I'm staying with a friend right now and he's like one of those really kind of incredible people that he just like lives by all these principles. And so it's like being at a boot camp here of like mindset and he's never been uh, sick great. and he's all about living in the positive affirmative. And it's a, it's yeah. about really like f attaching the feelings with the words that you're saying. But I am curious 
because you were going through something so hard and almost like ego shattering, oh, right? Oh, 22 years old, young, young male, 22 years old. Yeah. Uh, yeah, like very challenging. How did you get behind the words you were saying? What was your conviction where you're like, I feel this because I would have had such a hard time with that. And if this is your first time giving your mind a little love, I have a few goodies for you. First, don't forget to subscribe so you never miss an episode. And second, sign up for the Morning Mind Love. Think of it like a weekday oracle from your highest self to help you start each day with a positive focus. Plus, you'll get two gifts absolutely free, a 30-minute binaural meditation and 30 days of journaling prompts to help you remember who you truly are. So join over 9,000 people and go to mindlove.com to sign up or text the word morning to 33777. We're all here just trying to live our best lives, right? And while you're here listening to a podcast, you might feel like you're on the right track, but then you visit family or you have a work deadline or something unexpected comes up and you're all stressed out and it feels like all the work is out the window. That's why it's so important to consciously curate what you can control, like who you surround yourself with, what you watch, what you listen to. So I'm going to add another podcast to your toolbox, The Dr. John Deloney Show. He has a PhD in counseling and has been sitting with hurting people for 20 years. He shares practical advice for everything from how to connect with people, how to face depression, overcome anxiety, and learn just what it means to be well. But what's really cool about his show is you can even leave a voicemail or send an email and he'll address your topic or question about mental or emotional help on the show. So no matter what you're going through, the Dr. John Deloney show is here for you. Listen to the Dr. John Deloney show wherever you get your podcasts or follow the link on the website. How did you get behind the words you were saying what was your conviction where you're like I feel this because I would have had such a hard time with that I was in so much pain and had so many embarrassing moments and and so much uh, mental and emotional anguish around it that I wanted to play full out and give it the best chance possible. You know, being um, a young kid who played basketball and hockey and baseball, you know, I heard my coaches, you know, talking about, you know, repetition is the mother of learning and skill. Great, I got it. Visualize the success that you want because then you're building the cellular memory for your body to act automatically. Okay, I got it. So I'd visualize free throws and I'd visualize scoring goals in the, you know, at hockey and, and, um, it, it created this, uh, you know, air of positivity. But feeling, you know, um, being healthy, that was the harder part for me. Uh, I had to practice that like a Hollywood actor, you know, practices a new role where it feels clumsy and awkward and weird at first because you're, you're not the role that you're reading on a piece of paper. Um, but as I practiced, it became part of my psyche. And I want to show you something. Uh, now that we're talking about this, but this is my exceptional life blueprint. It's about 45 pages. It's something I teach in my exceptional life coaching program. But but here is the affirmation right there. Oh wow! So <laughs> yeah, I have a, a few different little tools up my up my sleeve on that one. Um, but 
what I had been told and what I read was every thought releases a neurochemical associated with that thought. So if you have a positive thought, let's say one of healthy or one of, you know, uh, uh, being at the weight you want or one at the income that you want or the coach that you want to be or the business owner that you want to be. If you can use words and emotions and activate the different parts of your brain, there are parts of our brain um, that turn on or off certain circuits, turn on or off certain hormones, turn on or off certain networks. And I just became fascinated, you know, with, with, you know, I knew that we had powerful brains, right? Uh, But I didn't really know how powerful. Uh, But the evidence suggested, even back then, that there's something magical happening within every human being. You know, if you think about, you know, what are we really, right? And everybody says, well, we're energy. Okay, well, you know, we're, you know, 100 trillion cells that have connected and nine systems that work synergistically or not together. And we have thoughts and emotions and feelings and sensations and we behave or don't behave in certain ways. I got fascinated with what is all of that really? I I don't know why. I was always interested in biology and chemistry, um, but I just got fascinated with how we as humans work. (laughs) And, And I knew that, you know, something's happening in my brain. And then I had some really amazing mentors when I was in my, starting in my 20s, that fed me more of the information and the, and the uh, learnings that became, you know, foundation of all the neuroscience work and neuropsychology work that I've done for the last 40 years. And I mean, that's what's led me to building companies and helping people and uh, getting in, in great shape, even though, you know, 12 years ago, I was 238 pounds and 33% body fat. And I was uh, healthy in a few areas of my life, but the physical side was a piece that I had let go uh, of um, for a period of time. And um, so I just kept reusing the brain training, the brain-based methods based on neuroscience. And every single time, it works for me. It's worked for my clients, hundreds of thousands of them all over the world. So that, that just keep building on that foundation. Well, I don't know if there's anybody in the world that hasn't had some sort of goal in their life. And I think sometimes we even forget that whether it is health or productivity or success or anything that we want to achieve in life or like wish for ourselves is some sort of a goal. So we all have are working towards a goal in one way or another, whether we're laying it out or we just like have this idea in our mind. But so many people do fail on these goals. And then they ends up reinforcing this belief that maybe I'm not the goal setting type or I'm not meant for success. So what is it that people are doing wrong when it comes to setting their goals? So Let me give you a a visual for just a moment, and uh, maybe it'll help. Would you agree that a spaceship is really powerful and it can get you to Mars? Yes. (laughs) Or to the moon, you know? Um, Yeah, I mean, it's pretty powerful. Uh, Would you agree that in order to be able to get to Mars or the moon, you have to learn how to pilot it? Yes. Great. Well... Do you know what's more powerful than a spaceship or a rocket ship or any other computer-driven thing in the whole universe? What? Your three-pound brain. So when I ask the average person, what do you know about your brain? You you own it, right? I mean, you have one. It's Mm -hmm. yours. Uh, What do you know about how it works? 
What do you know about um, where do your habits reside? Uh, how did you develop your habits, which drive your behavior? Um, the beliefs that you have, were you born with them or did you acquire them? The um, perspectives you have about uh, what you can achieve or can't achieve, did you, uh, were you born with those or did those get developed over time? And, and let's say, you know, we talk about beliefs that are empowering you and beliefs that are disempowering you. Uh, do you know, since you own this spaceship, you know, this tool, do you know how to deactivate the part that disempowers you and that's destructive and create empowering constructive ones? And the reason I'm taking there is most people go, uh, uh, no, uh, no, 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 no. Go, oh, so the problem isn't with the tool. The problem is that you haven't learned how to use it. Mm-hmm. I like so that analogy. Now, <laughs> yeah. So now let's talk about goals. Do you know the framework? I'm not talking uh, you know, directly to you, Melissa, to people that are listening. I, wanna, I want people to think, right? So do you know the framework of uh, a goal in your brain? Like, how does it come about that you choose a goal? And then is there a process, if your brain is an organism that can choose a goal, that can be afraid of achieving a goal, that can have limited beliefs around a goal, that doesn't have the knowledge or skills or how to achieve the goal, or doesn't believe that you're worthy of that goal, could any of those things interrupt the mechanisms by which goals are achieved? Of course. Right. So whose responsibility is it to figure out how to use their brain better so their brain works for them instead of against them? My so assistant. Our brain, <laughs> Just kidding. That's exactly right. So our brain operates on a hierarchy of how um, it works. So number one is, you know, humans have walked in one form or another, you know, for five million years on Earth, about a million two from Homo erectus to Homo sapien. But our brain is involved in three layers. And the first layer of the brain was geared, created, evolved for survival above all else. Right. So our brain is, is focusing on survival above all else. Right. It's analyzing the information that's coming in through our eyes, through our ears, through what we're reading, what we're smelling, what we're touching. And is my life potentially in danger? Yes or no? Binary. Yes, no. If possibly it goes on high alert. Right. And kicks off the fight, flight or freeze mechanisms within the brain that we know. Number two priority is avoidance of any pain or discomfort. So we are creatures of habit habit. We are creatures of comfort too, right? So if we're creatures of habit and we're creatures of comfort, regardless of whether we're uh, miserable or happy, once we become habituated, that becomes our comfort zone. So anything that can take us out of our comfort zone that's positive or negative, our brain senses that this is going to take us out of our comfort zone and it activates that same sympathetic nervous system, right? The fight, flight, freeze, and in some cases faint. Number three hierarchy of the brain is conservation of energy. So it does number one and two and conserves as much energy as possible just in case number one is real. And then the fourth part of our brain or fourth hierarchy of the brain is gain pleasure, comfort, joy, happiness. So the way that the system works is survival first, safety second, conservation energy third, and then happiness and all that stuff. And this is all in the brain that doesn't like change. It likes homeostasis and comfort zone. And so why am I starting off with that? Well, any time that you and I have a goal that we want to achieve, 
uh, we're activating what I call is the Einstein part of the brain, right? That's the imagination, the desire, the, the vision, the goal, and that excites us. But in the very next billionth of a second, that goal that we want is being filtered through what I call is the Frankenstein part of the brain, the memory bank that says, you know, last time you tried this, you failed and you were embarrassed. Uh, last time you tried this, you didn't know how to do it. And so there's a lot of uncertainty here. Maybe you should just stay in your comfort zone. Did you know that when Mary tried to do this, she lost her money? Do you know, you know, so our brain, this biocomputer with every bit of information that we've read, listened to, experienced, heard, saw other people experience, that is all housed in our memory banks in trillions of bits of information. And in billionths of a second, the goal that we have is going to be measured against, okay, will this cause me any pain to be embarrassed, ashamed, ridiculed, judged? Uh, can we fail or succeed? Are there any limiting beliefs that will hold me back from achieving this goal? Are we lacking the knowledge and skill on how to achieve this goal, thereby setting up the doubt, fear, anxiety, uncertainty, stress center in the brain? And if all those things are okay, do I really believe that I'm worthy or deserve this? This is happening in billionths of a second. And so we might have this goal. And if any one of those four things are in the way, guess what happens? We deactivate the motivational desire center of the brain. We activate the fear response center of the brain. Our foot comes off the back. We procrastinate. says, hey, you want to go grab a drink? <laughs> yes. <laughs> What's playing on Netflix? Hey, uh, let me get my text out. Hey, you guys know anything that's happening on Netflix that we'd like to watch? Mm. So that's the mechanism, you know, that we're dealing with. So the good news is we now know the mechanism of how this organism works. And we also know how to become more aware of the thoughts, emotions, feelings, sensations, behaviors that are causing us to take action or not take action. And instead of being in this reactive state when we are reinforcing patterns that we don't want, what if we learned how to be aware of these patterns? And then what if we upgraded our skill to drive the spaceship better? This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. I really need to get something off my chest. Being a mom of a three-year-old boy is really freaking hard, and sometimes it has me questioning my sanity. But then he'll grab my face and call me his sweet little mama. Yes, that's a real thing he says, <laughs> and it will all melt away until I break his banana. I thought I was done with emotionally abusive relationships, but nope. We all carry around stressors, big and small, and when we keep them all bottled up, it can start to affect us negatively. Therapy is a safe space to get things off your chest and to figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. For me, just talking things through is hugely helpful, but it's so hard finding friends and family that are unbiased or non-judgmental. And therapy isn't just about dealing with major trauma, you know? It's about learning healthy coping mechanisms, setting boundaries, becoming the best version of yourself. And BetterHelp makes it super convenient, too. Everything's done online so you can fit therapy sessions around your schedule. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash MindLove today and get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash MindLove. I'm constantly sharing with my clients to stop searching in life and instead start aligning. 
It's true with purpose, with relationships, with higher versions of yourself, and it's also true for hiring. The best way to search is actually just to match with Indeed. Indeed is your one-stop hiring platform with millions of job seekers visiting every month, and their powerful matching engine helps you find quality candidates fast. Plus, Indeed lets you schedule interviews, screen applicants, and message candidates all in one place. But Indeed isn't just about speed. They also deliver quality. According to a recent Indeed survey, 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites. I love Indeed because it makes hiring so much easier. I'm all about alignment in all areas of my life, and that includes people I hire to work in my business. So I need a hiring partner that makes it simple to find candidates with the right skills. And that's Indeed. And what's really cool is Indeed's matching engine gets smarter the more you use it, learning from your preferences and over 140 million qualifications. Plus, I love that I can do all my hiring in one place. It's just one less thing to keep track of between all of the other things. So join over 3.5 million businesses worldwide who rely on Indeed to find great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash mindlove. Just go to Indeed.com slash mindlove right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash mindlove. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. It's so fascinating to me because there's so much about our brain that does default to that reptilian standard, right? <laughs> We're like, oh, deep down to our core, we are these animals. But animals aren't sitting there like, last time I ran and tried to chase this this gazelle and eat it, I didn't catch it. So maybe I shouldn't even try this time. It just goes for it, right? Yeah. And so it's like the thing that makes humans so powerful and, and the most advanced species on the planet is also kind of our downfall. And we expect because our brains are these computers that it's like, well, it should work. It should process. And instead, yeah. it's like we've got all of these tabs open, all of these programs running. And if I bought a new MacBook Pro and and it was reacting this way and it was slowing down and all these things, I think I got a faulty computer. <laughs> so we're missing the part where we need to like actually understand it's not just a computer that's running on its own we're a piece of the computer where we're making decisions to help this move forward right and since you're using the analogy of a computer you know there's the hardware right you talked about a macintosh there's the hardware you know the box there is the operating system by which it operates under and then there's the software right and so if there's faulty software it makes no difference what the hardware looks like it makes no difference what the operating system can do but if the software okay if we have been conditioned then we have to recondition or retrain and in essence we have to refire to rewire our brain and so when when we're talking about you know that animal that the lion that's going to chase the gazelle they have two parts of their brain, right, that have evolved. Uh, ours has been in a, in a three-stage setting where in the last 50,000 years, this thinking part of the brain called the neocortex has developed. But we have a reptilian brain, you know, just like animals. We have a million brains just like some animals, you know, and ours is pretty highly developed. But, you know, the genes in a banana are about 90% the same as in us, <laughs> right? In a chimpanzee, 
obviously a lot more. And so where we're at in the evolution of our species is in the last 50,000 years, as this neocortex has built, this is really what now has given us a lot of more control. But, you know, nature evolves over millions of years. So 50,000 years is not a lot. And we've only discovered a lot of the stuff that we know about the human brain now uh, because of our ability to create technology that allows us to look deeper into the brain. And, and so now we're able to see neural networks and circuits and the salience network and the executive function network and the default mode network. And we can see these networks turning on or off and we can see circuits turning on or off. We can see the neurochemicals that they release and what those neurochemicals are. And what we can see more than anything else is we can teach ourselves how to be in a heightened state of awareness. We can also deliberately and consciously evolve ourselves. And so let me give you an example. Let's say you live in, in, in a city, okay? I know you're up at a different location now, but you know, I think you live in LA, right? So let's say you live in LA and LA you know, has got highways and main roads and small roads and, and smaller roads and there's this entire you know, road system, right? The highways and the small roads. And let's say at the edges of LA, there's a piece of land you know, that's uh, 500,000 acres, okay, that hasn't been touched. And you wanted to develop a connected road system to the LA system. Well, you'd maybe create you know, extensions of the highways, you create some extensions of some bigger roads, and then some smaller offshoot roads. And so in essence, you'd create a, you know, a new road system, right? Well, think about this. Our brain is pliable and moldable. And based on the science of neuroplasticity, which means our brain, you know, can create new patterns, what if I share with you that you can create neurodes in your brain, right? And let's say that uh, a belief that I'm not good enough, I'm not smart enough, I'm too young, I'm too old, I'm too white, I'm too black, whatever the case might be, let's say that's just a road system in your brain. And based on the science of neuroplasticity, if we said, you know, I'm more than smart enough to achieve my goals, I feel empowered every single day to achieve whatever I want and I deserve it. I'm more than smart enough, I am more than good enough, I am worthy and I can figure it out in the absence of resources, I am so resourceful. So let's say I just use that language pattern and I ask myself, what, what did that just do in my brain? Well, if that's a foreign language pattern to me because I don't believe that, if I said that, one time, five times, 10 times, 100 times, 500 times, 5,000 times, and I paved this new pattern in my brain. By the very fact of how the brain works is whatever patterns we repeat, because of the third law of the brain, the conservation of energy, our brain says, okay, you're spending a lot of energy on this stuff. Instead of you making this as a conscious effort that you do, I'm just gonna make it a subconscious pattern. You don't have to think about it anymore. That sounds pretty good. <laughs> that sounds pretty good. So what do a lot of people do? They do it once or three times or 50 times and go, it's not working. Well, okay, but, but you, you, you have to plant the seed long enough for the seed to develop roots. Uh, and then once the seed develops roots, the increase of the vibration uh, happens beneath the surface. You don't keep going and try to figure out what's happening underneath the soil. When you understand how neural networks are created and reinforced and become dominant or not, then you're operating out of a place of wisdom and knowledge and skill versus ignorance. 
And so do affirmations work? Uh, yes. Do visualizations work? Yes. Does adding you know, emotion and congruency between your head, your heart, and your gut works? Yes. And if I add behavior to match the vision, the goals that I want, and methodically move and focus on you know, what do I want to achieve, how I'm going to achieve it, when am I going to achieve it by, what skills do I need to upgrade, what beliefs do I need to create, what action steps do I need to take? When you combine all of that, now you have a recipe for what I call is predictable transformation and success versus possible transformation and success. So what do you want? Possibility or probability? Probability. <laughs> probability, right? Probably. Every, yeah, every single goal that we want to achieve, every one of them, we already know how to. So a person's problem is not that the how doesn't exist, the how exists. Mm-hmm. So I think we need to go just a little deeper beneath the surface to be able to achieve every goal that we want to achieve. That makes a lot of sense. And what I always say, it's like, we always know what we need to do. It's, it's just that we're not doing it. And what I come back to quite often is, so a lot of times, and I think most people do have these goals and, and all of a sudden they're like, I need to make a change. You know, I'm done being stuck where I am. And so we find something we want to change. We lay out a plan. Maybe we even buy a new journal that helps us set goals and we go at it, right? But as you say, it's like we, sometimes we do it like one to a hundred times and it's still not this deeply ingrained subconscious pattern yet. And so I find that what a lot of people struggle with is figuring out ways to keep the motivation to keep doing it until it becomes that point. So what are some of your tips to keep you driven and focused on that goal without losing sight and just wanting to move on to something else? Every one of my clients, there's no exception to this. Every one of my clients, I ask them this question. And if they can't answer the question, well, there's actually two questions. The questions I ask them is, why do you want to achieve this? And they tell me. Uh, and I want you because of this and I got this and this and this and this and this. I go, great. But why must you achieve it? So I want to know why you must. Not why you want to, why you could, why you should, why it would be nice to, why you'd like to. Why must you? I want, I, want, I want reasons why you must. Part one. Part two is based on a story that if you don't mind, I'll, I'll share. I think it, it, it's going to make a, a, a huge difference. First, so we're going to get to the deepest level of why that you must. Because if your why isn't bigger than your stories, excuses, reasons, or habits, you won't do it. So that's part one. But part two is, I was 19 years old. I was getting into a lot of trouble uh, with the law. I left school at grade 11. Got into a lot of trouble with the law. I did a lot of illegal things, immoral things, uh, and everything in between. And um, my brother had arranged for a luncheon with a very successful entrepreneur. And in order to have lunch with this very successful entrepreneur, I had to take the train 350 miles from Montreal, Canada to Toronto, Canada to have lunch with this guy. And so I said, sure, Mark, I'll come and see you, you know, for the weekend and I'll, we'll meet with this man. His name is Alan Brown. And um, I took the train. My brother picked me up, went to the restaurant and Mr. Brown you know, had his briefcase uh, with him and a wonderful, wonderful human being. And he asked me, a bit about my life and what I was doing. And then he asked me, you know, what were my goals? And I said, well, I'd like to leave my parents' house, get an apartment. I'd like to buy a car. Uh, I'd like to get a job, uh, make some money so I can have some fun. He goes, I mean, that's all great basic stuff, but what are your real goals? I go, what do you mean? He says, well, uh, how much money do you want to make? Uh, what kind of house do you want to live in? Uh, where do you want to travel? And I said, <laughs> I have no idea. So he gave me this document and it was, 
literally, I'll, I'll age myself now. It was the 1980s goal-setting guide, 1980 goal-setting guide. And I opened it up, and he said, please go sit on the table next to us and, and fill it out. And when you fill it out, come back and give it to me. So I sat there, and the first question on this goal-setting guide, <laughs> I'm 19, uh, it's, what age do you want to retire? <laughs> I'm like, what? <laughs> I want a freaking job. Forget about retire. <laughs> Like my father's, you know, I don't know, 50 years old. He's not retired yet. The second question was, how much net worth do you want to have? So I, I interrupted Mr. Brown. He was talking to my brother. I said, excuse me, Mr. Brown, uh, what does net worth mean? <laughs> so, <laughs> so he told me. And so anyway, I started filling out, uh, I want to retire at age 45. I figure 26 years later, I want a net worth of $3 million. I want to travel the world. I want to retire my parents. I want to uh, live the lifestyle of my dreams and buy nice clothes and cars and all the materialistic stuff. And uh, I gave the document to him and he looked at it. He read you know, about four or five pages of stuff. And he goes, yeah, this is pretty good. Where'd you get these ideas? I said, well, the, the, the age stuff, you know, I just thought 26 years is a long time. So that would be great. I just use my imagination. And there's this TV show that I like that, you know, shows lifestyles of rich and famous people. I'd love to have that kind of a lifestyle. And he said, listen, every one of these goals is doable. There are, people have already done all this stuff. He says, I've achieved these goals and many of them in less than a month. And I said, wow, I mean, less than a month. He said, uh, I'm going to ask you one question, and the answer to this question will determine whether you achieve every one of these or not. And the back of my mind, as you can imagine, Melissa, I was thinking, <laughs> one question is going to determine whether I achieve this retirement, this revenue, this lifestyle, blah, 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 blah. And uh, he says, um, do you want to know what the question is? I said, of course. And he leaned down to me, and he said, are you interested or are you committed to achieving these goals? Well, that's good. And I said... Uh, uh, what do you mean? We're like, well, what's the difference? And he says to me, he says, um, if you're interested, you'll keep letting your stories and excuses control your behavior and your thinking. If you're interested, uh, you'll keep telling me that your dad's a you know, cab driver and he went to grade five and you didn't do well in school and you failed English and you failed math, which is all the stuff I told him before. He says, if you're interested, you come up with your stories and excuses and reasons why you can't, won't, or shouldn't. He said, if you're interested, you'll do what's easy and convenient and you'll just stay stuck and stay the same. If you're interested, says you'll stay in your comfort zone and have hopes, wishes, goals, and dreams, but you won't change anything to have them. I said, he said, if you're committed, though, you'll upgrade your knowledge and your skills. You'll let go of these limiting beliefs that you have that you're not even aware of that you have. He says, if you're interested, you'll do all that stuff. But he says, uh, you, you won't do that stuff. But if you're committed, you'll develop new habits, new skills, new behaviors, new levels of awareness because every one of those goals is achievable. So are you interested, are you committed? And I was I feeling a little scared and excited at the same time, and I, I blurted out, well, well I, I'm committed. And he goes, great, in that case, and he reached out his hand and took my hand in his, says, in that case, I will be your mentor. And I said, uh, wow, I mean, that's awesome. Uh, what's a mentor? <laughs> I mean, that's how green I was. And he said, a mentor is somebody who will take you by the hand and show you what to do and what not to do. And it will point you in the right direction and change your perspective and help you with new beliefs and new habits and new, and new levels of skill. And that was the beginning at 19, 40 years ago, of me meeting somebody, um, him giving me some guidance, but asking me a question of interested or committed. 
I've shared that with millions of people around the world. And what I can tell you, Melissa, is the ones who've taken it seriously, that says, today's the day, enough. They don't just watch this or listen to this. I go, wow, that was great. <laughs> wow, high five. That was cool. Let me pick up the book. No, they're committed. You change now. You draw a line in the sand and says, enough is enough. I'm going to make more money. I'm going to lose that weight. I'm going to leave the relationship I'm unhappy in and find out, or I'm going to become a better partner. Enough is enough. So at that moment, that day, by saying I'm committed, I was basically saying to myself, enough is enough. No more of the stories, excuses, limiting beliefs, being unresourceful. Um, no more of that anymore. And then he pointed me in the right direction and showed me. And, you know, there's a lot more to that story about some of the things that he asked me, you know, to do to move from Montreal to Toronto, to get into real estate school, to come up with money I didn't have to be. All of that stuff um, happened in that same luncheon. And there were more stories and more excuses and more me, you know, trying to fight the old, uh, not prepared to accept the new, even though I said I'm committed um, but he taught me every step of the way and he made me aware of the patterns over and over and over again that wanted to pull me back and suck me back into my old life. That story is really incredible. I've, I've always wanted somebody to come into my life and just be like, I'll be your mentor. <laughs> it sounds so lovely. But I'm curious too, because so we know that these patterns can be disrupted by our emotions and, and stress and all of these things. And it's all about finding ways to make the grooves of the new patterns deeper than the grooves of the old. What I found, though, especially I come from a background of some pretty bad patterns. Uh, one, The one that I think hits the deepest was I had a 10-year struggle with bulimia. And it was one of those things that people say, will be with you forever, right? And I have found that idea wasn't beneficial to me at all or empowering. So I've basically made a lot of my life figuring out how to overcome that. And and I have in many ways. But what I found is times like 2020, where the stress comes heavier than we're used to it, right? I've had a lot of people reach out to me and they're like, I thought this thing that I healed uh, was over with or I'd, I'd healed myself from it, but it's come back. And that can be something that's like a dangerous eating disorder, or it can be something like another yeah. addiction, or it can just be something like old patterns. Why is it that sometimes the deeper stress will bring up things that we thought we've been able to get rid of? And how do we find a way to balance ourselves in those times so that we can reinforce our new patterns, even when times get really hard? It's a, a great question, and I've you know, studied uh, addiction quite a bit. I was addicted to alcohol for many, many years, and you know, 12 years ago, I gave it up for the final time, and I haven't had a drink in, in 12 years. And think about it this way, and it might make some sense. Uh, the patterns are still there. The patterns that we've had for however many years are still there, and the same things that you know, triggered us before may trigger the pattern that we've had before. In times of stress, we normally learn our initial phases of dealing with these old triggers and behaviors and the rewards uh, that we get. But whenever there are some extreme stresses like the ones that we are experiencing now, uh, it activates a whole new layer of stress in, the, in, in, our, in our brains, in our bodies. And in this specific time that we're living in right now, it's a significant 
stress on our brains and our physiologies. Let me explain. When there's a bear or a saber-toothed tiger at the door and they can actually kill you, there's parts of the brain that are on hyper, hyper, hyper uh, alert state. So there's a predator at the door. The predator actually can kill you. And so that's not something that happens often in our lifetimes. And so when we haven't trained at that level of the stress, then the default is the highest level of our behaviors and habits. And so a lot of times the skills that we need for this layer of stress isn't enough for that next layer of stress. And so we can practice uh, whether it's using mental rehearsals, whether it's using deactivation strategies around stress release and awareness, whether it's using breathing or yawning or caressing uh, or mental rehearsals around the stress, we need to be in this environment, the mental and emotional uh, and even you know group environment uh, for protection, for additional support, uh, for an additional environment of safety versus the stress. So we have to counter in uh, Alcoholics Anonymous, you know, they, they make sure that you're in this environment all the time with other people because the stresses can be different for people, whether it's mental, emotional, physical, spiritual, financial stresses that people experience. And so in times like this, we will default, you know, to a lot of old patterns and we bypass some of the training. And if we use martial arts, right, as, a, uh, as an example, uh, or even um, Navy SEALs or astronauts. So martial arts, Navy SEALs or astronauts, they have to practice at the highest level of stress possible where their life is actually on the line so they can self-regulate mindset and emotions. Most of us don't have to, right? Life is usually not on the line for us. I mean, it could be, but it's not on the line for us. And so it really is a creation of our environment, internal and external, that's going to determine the feelings and the behaviors that it triggers. And, and so you just have to be prepared. You have to be very, very prepared. I know that, you know, when, when this pandemic started, um, a lot of what I've worked on with my private clients, uh, as well as the, the groups that I work with, is all around mental and emotional control. Mental and emotional control, strengthening your mindset, strengthening your emotional control so that you can actually override any of the disempowering or negative triggers and, and the follow through that they can create. Yeah, it reminds me of when I ran cross country in high school, we'd go into the mountains so we could train in higher altitudes so it would be more difficult to breathe. And then when we ran the race, then it was a lot easier. But you got it. But now I'm just one of the things that's keeping my hope is like, wow, in 2021, we're all going to be just breezing through, hopefully, fingers crossed, (laughs) because we've been able to survive some of these really hard times. I am curious, though, because so much of this, like you said, we didn't know this information about our brains years and years ago. But the same goes for any human where most of us tend to learn this stuff when we're after we're old enough to have already been doing things the wrong way for quite some time. So I'm really curious, how does knowing this information, how would it change 
different ways that maybe you'd teach a child or, or what are things that we're basically negatively reinforcing accidentally and how can we shift that? Because I think it's so helpful to understand like what is the ideal way that somebody would be conditioned to maybe have this easier in life? Mm, I love it. And um, you and I, we have to change our minds with our children. We have to just help them make theirs up. So we know that you know, our brain is making neural connections, right? Uh, by the millions every hour when you're a baby, a lot less obviously as an adult. And so when we understand what does a child need to believe about himself or herself that we can help them understand and adopt early? What kind of perspectives do we want to instill in our children so that they have a broad perspective of the world? What kind of habits are worthy of instilling early because they run, okay, the show later on. Um, how do we teach our children about the difference between feelings and emotions that they can control both? How do we help our children develop a healthy sense of upgrading their knowledge and skills and tying their knowledge and skills and abilities to the things that they want to achieve? So whenever we're looking at self-image, self-worth, self-esteem, there are things that we could do to create constructive self-images or destructive ones. Um, if we understand that a belief is nothing more than a pattern in the brain that's been reinforced, is there a way to teach children how to create their own beliefs and then reinforce them? The answer is yes to everything I've just said. Part of the challenge that we have is our school systems are just so far behind. It's like it's like going back in time. You know, when when we when our school system was created, it was created for compliance. It wasn't created for creativity. It wasn't created for individuality. It wasn't created, you know, to bring out the best in each child based on their uh, genetic predisposition, uh, propensities, and what they're passionate about. It was for conformity. It was for conformity. Right? Like I hated math. Uh, I loved chemistry, and because I hated math and didn't do well, you know, I uh, I felt like I wasn't smart enough. I freaking love math now. I love the business of math. <laughs> I love the math of the brain. I, I I I you know, you asked me about trigonometry and and calculus, and I was like, huh? What? What? <laughs> I had no idea. No, no idea. I was like, I just felt like I was like lost. Uh, that wasn't my skill set, but. I was forced to learn it the way everybody else learned it. And then if I didn't pass the test, which was all the time, then I felt stupid and dumb, made fun of by the other kids. So I felt stupid because I wasn't good at math and I failed English. Who the hell fails English? My teacher kept telling me in grade seven, you shouldn't write the way you speak. Uh, how else am I gonna write? Like, I, I didn't get it. I failed English. I actually sent her a book, uh, my first New York Times bestselling book, which was Having It All. I said, well, <laughs> I, I do write the way I speak. Uh, I hope you enjoy my New York Times best. I, I actually tracked her down and I sent it to her. I felt so stupid um, in math, in English class, that don't write the way you speak. So she didn't enforce me being smart enough and good enough. And that's part of one of the reasons I do the work that I do today, because everybody's a genius. Every human being has a trillion dollar biocomputer. But many of us just didn't learn how to use it. And so part of why I wrote Inner Size and having it all in my, my other books and my, my courses is to help people have a healthy understanding. You are 
brilliant beyond your comprehension. And now let's get some of the user's manual for yourself, your children, your, your friends, your spouses, and let's use this thing that has created everything you see around you other than the natural creation that our creator created, whatever that may mean to you. I love that. And it's funny because I end up mentoring a lot of people in how they're marketing. And the best way to market yourself or to write these days isn't how we were taught. It's to write really how you speak so that people get to know you and it relates to them on a different level. And so one of my biggest pet peeves is when I'm reading an article and I'm like, it sounds like you're writing a paper for Stanford. Like, I don't want to read this at all. (laughs) You're losing half your audience. But what I do love about your book, Inner Size, is that it's just so full of these actionable things that you can do right now that make you feel like you're making a change in your brain instead of just these grandiose ideas that you need to adopt. So to wrap up, I'm wondering what is one thing, one exercise that we can give the audience that would make them, you know, feel like they're doing something in their brain, a good jump start before to kind of intrigue them about the rest of the inner sizes. Um, So maybe I can give them two simple inner sizes to get them going. So we exercise to strengthen our, Uh, our muscles and our internal organs. And if everybody could just think about inner size is how you strengthen your core neuromuscles. So what's a core neuromuscle? Your ability to be aware is a neuromuscle, but most people don't practice awareness and it's awareness that gives you choice and choice is actually what gives you freedom if you exercise it. So uh, we know that our brain has got um, you know, a, a nervous system, but it's actually broken down into into two systems. One is the sympathetic nervous system, which is your fight, flight, freeze, stress, anxiety, uh, panic. And then the other system, when that's triggered, is your calm system, your ability to be more focused, more aware, more patient, uh, more imaginative, uh, smarter. And so, The first thing we want to do is get our brain to deactivate the sympathetic stress circuit. And we can do that in one of three ways. But the simplest way is something that is a thing you've been doing from the second you were born. When we take six deep breaths, slowly, slowly, slowly into our nose. And then blow it out through your mouth as slow as you can, like you're blowing out through a straw. Slower than that. When we do that six times and we focus our attention on the release of the breath going out and the inhale coming in through our nose, six times deactivates the fear center of the brain, the stress center, the anxiety center, the uncertain center, the I'm not good enough center, the I'm not worthy enough centers of the brain. So if we did that for one minute, and then we shifted to inner size number two, which is called AYA. A-I-A. And AYA stands for awareness of thoughts, emotions, feelings, sensations, and behaviors, let's say for the last half hour. So if I could just breathe and then ask myself, what have I been thinking about the last half hour? What have I been feeling? What am I sensing? What have I been doing for the last half hour? Now, when we do the AYA inner size, it's paramount that you do it without judgment, blame, shame, guilt, or justification. 
No judgment, blame, shame, guilt, or justification. All we want to get good at is the observation of our patterns. Why? We are creatures of, and you answered it earlier, habit. I'm a creature of my habitual way of thinking. I'm a creature of a habitual way of my uh, feeling. I'm a creature of my habitual way of behaving. So I want to become aware. So aware of thoughts, emotions, feelings, sensations, and behaviors. And then if we're not judging ourselves or blaming ourselves or being guilty about it, and we say, okay, if my truest power is my ability to choose, what's my intention for the next half hour? Well, my intention is uh, to be happy, uh, to be focused, uh, to feel empowered, uh, to take inspired action right now towards my goal and dream. So let's say that's my intention. And then the A, second A in Aya, is simple, simple, simple. What's one action step I can take right now? One. Now, we just did take six, calm the circuits, size one, to recalibrate our brain, put us back into control where we can be calm so we can respond instead of stressed and reacting. Two, now we just took a minute to ask ourselves what I've been thinking, feeling, and doing the last half hour, and then what's my intention, and what's one action step that moves me towards what I want and away from what I don't want. Now, it sounds simple, right? Well, it is. Now, what if I shared with you that if you just set your alarm clock on your phone to 58 minutes past every hour, and you just did that five times a day for two minutes. And you did it for the next 100 days. Now, why 100? Take 66 days to 365 days to develop a new road, a new groove, a pattern that reinforces itself and becomes your default way of being. So if I did that for the next 100 days, two minutes a day, Saturdays and Sundays included, where I just stopped, was aware, chose and move towards what I want, whether it's health, wealth, relationship, career, or business, I don't care. And I was deliberate once per hour. What do you think would happen to your life if you became aware of destructive patterns, disempowering patterns, negative patterns, and you chose to change them deliberately? Simple, easy, two minutes of your life every hour. Do you think that you become more aware? Do you think you become more tuned in? Do you think you'd learn how to deactivate the part of you that holds you back and activate the part of you that reinforces your personal power? Do you think that if you develop small, small, easy to create habits that are empowering ones, your life might change and move you towards your goals and dreams? Well, not only is that possible, that's the probable predictable path to empowering yourself. Oh, I love that because it, it's so simple and it also feels good while you're doing it. Oh. Whenever you, you stop and do that and, and just reassess because there's so many times where I find that my mind's just running and it's making me feel bad. Like it's just not making me feel good. And I don't even really realize it until I decide to take that awareness. And the more often that I'm willing to do that, because that's the difference, I think, is for years and years of my life, that was just the default. And I didn't realize I could stop and take a deep breath and change. And now right. I'm starting to develop the patterns of, I don't feel good. This is my trigger to do something different. What are my tools that I can go reach for? So thank you so much for sharing that, those powerful things that we can do today. And there's so much more in your book. So for listeners that are interested in learning more about you and your work, where's the best place to connect with you online? Love it. So um, 
Uh, I'm on Instagram at, at John Astaraf. And uh, so I'm on there all the time. And uh, I'm on my Facebook fan page. Uh, and I do uh, a show every Tuesday morning, a live training show. I'm on YouTube. And then uh, people can follow me on uh, my company, which is myneurogym.com. Myneurogym.com. All of the links from this episode will be at mindlove.com slash 156. So your challenge for this week is to empower yourself to build up your brain a little bit. There are so many good practices from this episode, and even more if you look at John Asaraf's book, which I have a link to in the show notes. And by the way, if you use that link to Amazon from the show notes on any episode, you do help support Mind Love a little bit. But what I found too is all of these little brain tricks work really well, but it's even better if it's coupled with awareness. What information are you consuming? What thoughts are you allowing to take up valuable space in your head? What beliefs are behind those thoughts? This practice is ongoing. It's not something that can be done in one day, but what you can do is start to get curious about yourself and your mind. So today, ask yourself questions when you feel any emotion at all. Start with, why am I feeling this? And then ask, what is the belief behind this feeling? And start to take note of what comes up to notice your own patterns. Once you become aware of who you are and what's really driving you, then you can start to change those beliefs. If you found this episode helpful, please share it with a friend or a family member, or just take a screenshot and upload it to Instagram and tag Mind Love Melissa and Mind Love Podcast. If you love Mind Love, please consider leaving a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. It's one of the best ways that you can help this show besides supporting us with a membership in the Mind Love community. So a review is free to do. It doesn't take very long and you have no idea how much it lights up my world. It like keeps me going each and every day. So as always, thanks for giving your mind a little love today and I'll see you next week. Thanks for tuning into your higher frequency with Mind Love. Head to mindlove.com for a free gift to keep your vibes up until next week.